Welcome to the podcast. I am Shane Barker, your host of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about sales and marketing. My guest today is Pam Didner. She's a B2B tech marketing consultant, author, and speaker with over 20 years of experience in the industry. She has a diversified background in finance, accounting, product support, and global marketing strategy, and has a comprehensive understanding of how marketing impacts a company as a whole. Listen as she talks about salespeople, buyer personas, sales journeys, and more. So, hey, we have Pam today on the show, on the podcast. We're really excited to be talking about how to build a better alignment between sales and marketing. Obviously, it's that age-old question of uh, sales and marketing and, and being able to, to better align them, right? That's always the, the goal and it's always a hard task because you have sales and marketing and they don't always see eye to eye and everything. And, you know, so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But before we jump into that, for you, for those of you on the podcast that don't know about Pam, we're going to kind of talk a little bit about her background, uh, where she grew up, some of the other fun stuff. And then we'll kind of go into what she's currently doing today, how she's a keynote speaker and all the other fun stuff. So Pam, how are you doing? Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm doing very, very well. Thank you so so much awesome. for having me. It's a beautiful Monday. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're where are you in Portland? Yes, I am. Portland, Oregon. Uh, awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm down in, I'm down in Sacramento. Yeah, we just had some rain. Like I was kind of, it's kind of the first rain. Yeah. Who knew I a little overcast this morning. I went on my walk this morning. It was overcast. And I was like, nice. I can start bringing out a sweatshirt and everything. I kind of, <laughs> I enjoy it when it starts to rain. It's, you guys see quite a bit of rain in Portland actually as well, don't you? Yes, we only have two seasons. Rain in August, that is it. And unfortunately, you know, due to, a, a, I would say, climate change, and we actually have seen for this year quite a bit of rain in August, which has never happened. And I lived here for 20 years, and uh, August is usually very, very nice, and you don't see much rain. And uh, this time, hmm, a very different year. So interesting. Mm -hmm. So did you, did you actually, did you grow up in Portland? No, we came here because of our job and mm. my husband got a job with Intel at a time. So we came to Portland because of a job way back in the nineties. And I grew up, I was born and raised in Taiwan. Mm. And I came to the States when I was 16. Gotcha. And then how big was your family in Taiwan? Um, well, actually both sides of families are huge, but, uh, with my parents, we only <laughs> like, Oh my God, they have both my parents. They have brothers and sisters like no one else. But for us, it's not, not bad. I'm the oldest and they actually have two brothers. Oh, okay. So three. So that's yeah. pretty small for a Taiwanese family, huh? Yeah. At that time, at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah, you know, sense. nowadays everybody only had like one or two kids or none, to be honest. Yeah. yeah just like any other modern family. Yeah. Yeah. You get too busy, I guess. That's what happens sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Double income. Everybody needs to have a double income to live nowadays. I mean, it doesn't matter which country that you go to. I think with that and uh, also raising, I don't know if you are married, Shane, yeah. but um, uh, having a child it's or raising a, ch a child nowadays is quite expensive. Yes, it is. Yeah. I, my son is actually in his uh, third year of college, so I definitely understand the expense of that. And he went to a private high school. So. Uh. I was I was in awe. What about is it private college right now or is it just a regular just regular college? Yeah, he goes to regular college. Yeah, so it's kind of funny. So like, I was my wife was really big on. He went to a Jesuit school here in Sacramento, and she really wanted him to go to yeah. the Jesuit school just because of the the curriculum and the the networking. Is, totally the quality of education. Exactly. I get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we did that, but it's it's funny. Like he. 
you know, we're, we're obviously helping him in college and, you know, it's, it was actually cheaper for him to go actually cheaper for him go to, to a college, college than, go to than it was to high school, which was so crazy to me. I'm like, oh. I go, aren't, aren't the other kids like going to high school for free? Like, I think my high school was free. I'm obviously being facetious to my wife and she goes, <laughs> I know, but we're investing in our son. And I said, okay, I, I get it. No, okay, I, we'll I get it. it. I yeah. totally get it. Yeah. yeah. My kids. So we kind of did a, a, a reverse. We sent our children to a private elementary school. And then we yank them out and have them go to the public uh, junior high school and a high school. And we were like thinking, you know, if we actually send them to a private school, they probably can set up a foundation and uh, know how to manage their times or whatnot. When they are much older, hopefully they are being trained or being educated in a certain way and that they can kind of take what they learned and then better prepare themselves actually for junior high and high school. And actually, So we kind of take a slightly different approach and it worked out well too. Yeah, I, that does make sense though. Cause I mean, really what it comes down to is the foundation, right? So when you're starting I, off in those yeah, earlier years, I think that's where you're setting, I mean, I, I guess, you know, I mean, you're setting not only I mean, guidelines necessarily, but you're setting like on how you do things in life, right? So you're kind of building that foundation. I, I totally agree. Mm. I think one thing they learned at that time was actually time management. Ah. It was very interesting because they have a small class and the teacher was teaching them in terms of, okay, this is how you should manage your time. They actually have a timesheet every day. Like not only the teacher have to share with them in terms of what they have to do. And then they also have to come up with what, uh, how are they going to complete their homework? Uh, Does that make sense? And like when and how and how to do it and that kind of stuff. So that turned out to be the biggest benefit. Yeah. And we didn't anticipate that at that time, but that turned out to be actually a great a skill set they learn and they carry forward for uh, the junior high, high school. And uh, I have two boys, actually, they're in college, just like yours. Oh, wow. So they're both in college right now, huh? Yeah, I'm totally broke. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, that was, that was, I was going to ask about your financial situation, but right when you said two, oh I, I thought, my oh my God, God. One, yeah, one is enough. I'm I like, know, two. I know. It's just amazing. I mean, they go to uh, the public school in state. Mm-hmm. But still, man, ah, it's expensive. Yeah. It's only yeah. how much I can tell it's expensive. I don't know how the other parents do it, like sending two kids or four kids like to private school. I mean, I really don't know how they do it. We just A private or, or even we were looking at, I mean, we're looking at, my son was looking at a school in Arizona, University of Arizona. Yeah. And it was crazy, crazy. out of state tuition. I'm like, I'm not going to spend a quarter of a million uh, dollars to send you to school. Like you're not going to be a doctor. I 100% agree with you. I 100% yeah, agree was, with you. Like, even who, if you want to be a doctor. After I was like, you know yeah. what? You can join military. It's totally yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> that is too funny. That is too funny. Well, it is crazy. And it's we he's actually in an in-state college as well. And it's it's pricey, but it's you know, it's not it, it's just a lot of monthly. It's definitely more affordable, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And a quarter of a million, I was like, I just don't know if I'm willing to do I'm that. 100%. Like, we are on the same page, yeah. Shane. We are on the yeah, same page. We are. We are. We are. We we parent sounds like we parented the same. So well, tell us about like what, what college did you go to? I went to University of Kentucky, uh in mm. Lexington. So go Wildcats. Yeah. And, uh, but I live in California at that time for about three or four years. So then went to Kentucky for college education the first year is definitely eye-opener yeah it's a very different environment the south is very different i mean i love the hospitalities and the people are genuinely nice 
but it's very different. I would say that's an interesting, so you, how long were you in California for? You said a few years? Yeah, for a few years before I went to the South. And where in California? Uh, LA, actually. Oh. I live on the East Side, Riverside. Ah, so. I know exactly where it's at, San Bernardino County. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, that's right, around yeah. that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I teach it or have taught in the past at UCLA, so I was going down there, so I know the area very well. And so it's interesting, University of Kentucky, interesting choice. So that would have been, I mean, that's, that's well, you come to the U.S. when you're 15, and then all of a sudden you're at the University of Kentucky, you're like, wow, this is wow. Maybe a little yeah. bit of a culture shock, right? Probably a little bit like. Yeah, the first year, the first year was a little bit, it's, like I said, it's much, it's a whole lot more proper. I mean, at that time, I mean, California is a more casual yeah, for sure. um, type of place, and uh, the South is actually a whole lot more proper. And then I would say the ritual and also even the way that the value and the living styles was actually completely different than, you know, typical California style. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And so now you've been in Portland for 20 years. So I'll tell you, I went, Portland was, and I've already, I talked about this on another podcast. I was like in love with Portland and I just went back recently and they just, there's, and not to talk bad about Portland because I still think it's a phenomenal city. Yeah. There was just like the homeless. There was like tons. I mean, I was downtown. Yeah. The situation is horrible. The situation is horrible. I think that's kind of very consistent in the sanctuary states. And unfortunately we don't have, they still working through the solution and you can see the similar issue or challenges, if you will, in San Francisco go also yeah. in Seattle. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, Poland has changed a lot in the past, I would say 10, 15 years. And um, it's not the same city I used to live, but I don't yeah, have solution for part. it. I mean, yeah. I'm not a politician and uh, I'm not a policymaker, yeah. but I think everybody agreed that needs to be resolved. But uh, at this time, they are working through the solution. So yeah. we'll see how that goes. But yes, the homeless situation is yeah, it, not most pleasant. It broke my heart. And I, Portland was really in my top five of like a city to move to because it was so clean. And then I went last time. And once again, not the, the people of Portland are still amazing. There's still phenomenal, you know, restaurant, yeah. uh, restaurants and the people. Yeah, great. yeah the restaurant seems is phenomenal. Yeah, it yeah. really was good. I, I could not complain about that. We had some some great food out there. Um, but I just, had a, I feel bad for the, not only the, the people that are homeless but also for the people that actually stay there you know it is it's a hard solution right because you don't yeah. really want to you don't want you kick somebody out to go to another state i mean they, there's still some issues there that need to be resolved yes um, i'm 100% yeah that's agree. a hard one I, yeah. not that i will i will still go back to portland like it's still a phenomenal city i just i just remember being so clean like like over the top clean the only yes. the cleaners the only the cleanest city I've ever been to has been Singapore, which was like insanely clean. Yeah. And Portland was up there. And it's just, it, you know, that we, we, you drop down the rankings a little bit. Not that I still don't love the city. So we'll, we, I'm sure you guys will we pull drop, back up in the rankings here. I think yeah. we dropped by a yeah. lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, by a few numbers, a few numbers. But, and then what was, so when you got out of college, so you're obviously University of Kentucky, right? Yeah. Wildcats. Yeah. Um, when, what was your first job getting out of college? Um, my first job, <laughs> weigh the table. <laughs> Nice. I actually worked in a restaurant for a little while, but um, then I went to graduate school and uh, got my master's degree. And then from there, and I started working in the corporate world. Yeah. So I was gotcha. KPNG PMI week actually for two or three years. And I was a corporate mm-hmm. auditor. And then from there, I moved to Accenture. And then um, my last job, oh, last company I worked with was Intel. And I was with Intel for almost, almost 20 years. So the same as your husband. Your husband worked there as well correct yes he did he got a job with until first mm. and but he left and five years before gotcha. I left. so he stick around for a little while and he left and then went uh, joined another company instead yeah 
Gotcha. And then from there, you started what we've relentless pursuit, right? Isn't that yes. where you're currently? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. I was in the culprit for literally all my life. And I call myself culprit junkie. <laughs> <laughs> then about 2011. And I don't know, maybe it's a midlife crisis, however you want to call it. And I didn't buy, I didn't have a fare. I didn't buy mm. a red Ferrari. <laughs> but uh, but it was just like, kind of like my heart was a different place. Mm. And, uh, but I didn't cut the tie right away. And uh, that was 2011. But I, and, and I kept thinking, you know, I need to do something different, but I don't know what that is. So I started this kind of like a soul searching journey. And it's just kind of like a baby step, right? And I always believe that your heart kind of manifests itself right? Mm -hmm. When you started thinking about something, mm -hmm. the universe starts to listen. Does that make sense? Yeah, and all of a sure. sudden, you know, little thing, it just doesn't subconsciously or consciously, like the things that you do, the people that you meet kind of steer you to a direction you either want to be or you desire or to go to. Then from 2011 to about 2014, before I left, mm -hmm. it was kind of like a soul searching and the self-discovery. And uh, basically, I, I was talking to myself what do I really want to do when I grow up really that's the question I was like asking myself <laughs> I'm not kidding and then I did not know what that was but there were several options and then uh, and I started talking to people and I started meeting different sets of people that I used to uh, meet when I in the corporate world and uh, one thing led to another and I started and to write a book mm -hmm. and originally I really want to write a fictional book and I discovered I absolutely had no caliber you know you know Shane like you wanted to do something and then you discover like you know what you absolutely have no talent for it that was my discovery to be honest with you and then but I was like okay fine if I can't write a fictional book but I definitely can write a business book right so I somehow took what I learned and yeah, for working sure. at Intel, uh, especially one a unique experience I have is I'm actually the headquarter and which is I do things at a global scale and working very closely with geographies and region and also country marketing manager. And I leveraged that experience and I wrote a book about global content marketing, how to scale content across the region. But it's a B2B type of book. And then I use that as a launch pad and as a way to uh, pave the way to work for myself. Yeah. So that's pretty much a highlight of the story. Nice. So it sounds like you pretty much took what you learned from Intel yeah. and, and put it into a book for the global content marketing and be able to how to be able to apply those those methodologies and things you guys use at Intel, which obviously is huge. And now that was your platform for starting your own business. Yeah. So they have a lot of processes and I didn't take uh, Intel's process, but I kind of put into the framework what I think it makes sense and can scale to other companies. Does that make sense. Yeah. You know, Intel's process can be very, very uh, complex. Yeah, and sure. I simplify some of it and then customize with my own thoughts and my observation. And that's what that book was about. Yeah. And I think that's the important part of it is like there's those processes because I, I have I have friends that worked at Intel and there's obviously a lot of it, a lot of time and stuff goes into that. But it's like, how do you how do you take that and be able to make it into the so that people can understand it? Exactly. Right? And, exactly. Right? That's the hard part. 
So, and you guys, right. and you've done that. That's phenomenal. Yeah, I love creating templates and um, especially modifying templates that will tailor for my customers and my clients' needs. And um, I taught, after I left Intel, I taught universities actually for a couple of semesters. And uh, what I have realized when I work with students, the majority of them are millennials. And a lot of them, they like templates. They were like, mm-hmm. Pam, can you give us templates? And I was like, well, you know, marketing can be situational. And they were like looking at me, Pam, <laughs> we want templates. I was like, oh, okay. Okay, I'll make it happen. I'll make it happen. <laughs> That's funny. So I, the same thing at UCLA is I, I do think it's like this, like if we, we have something to look at, something that we can, you know, be able to mirror image or something we can work from it. It is helpful, I guess, in any of those situations. Yeah. I so agree. where did you, you taught at uh, University of Oregon? You, that was, and before that was what, West Virginia? For one semester, yeah. And then the West Virginia University, and that's online. And uh, that's a master uh, program online course. And I did that for two semesters. Awesome. Awesome. So you have quite a bit of experience. It looks like you, and in, in not only in, the, in academia, but also in the corporate world. I wouldn't say a lot. I mean, enough to get by. <laughs> but I learned a lot actually from the corporate for sure. And then applied that because a lot of time, you know, academia can be very um, theory driven. And so when I taught the courses, I tried to bring applications and also like a real life examples and how to's as a part of my teaching. And that's actually appreciated by the students because it's not just the, the framework and they're just theories. And I'm just saying that, hey, you know what? This is what we actually did yeah. in the corporate world. Or these are type of the questions that you should ask. Or if we put a marketing plan together, you know, this is what it actually looks like. So they really appreciate that, uh, sharing the real life examples. Well, and that was, that's actually how I got the job at UCLA. And it wasn't, it was because of my being a practitioner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Actually being out in the space. And so that's the difference, right? I mean, there's a lot of, and there was a local college here in Sacramento that reached out to me and said, Hey, in a roundabout way, they're pretty much saying, Hey, a lot of our instructors right, aren't right, in right. touch with a lot of the softwares and things that are yeah. happening. I mean, they didn't really say that, but they kind of did. Right. And so it's like, we need somebody that actually is in the space and actually doing things. So you can have the methodology or a framework or something like that, but then you got to put the real world examples in there of things that you've actually done, which I think the students appreciate, right? Cause then it's not, it's, you've actually done it. And then you can mm-hmm. talk about the good things, the bad things and things that you're going to have to go through as, you know, as an individual going into the corporate world. Right. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. So you are also, you just, you do obviously a lot of speaking and workshops and stuff. So you were just at uh, CMI 2019, right? Which happened not too long ago. What was, how, how was the conference and what did you speak about there? I went to content, it's a CMI conference. It's called Content Marketing World. And um, it's a ninth year this year. Mm-hmm. And I've been into that event every single year. And I was very grateful that they invited me back every single year. Yeah. And uh, so I, in the past, I, I usually uh, just do sessions. About four or five years ago, I started doing workshops. So I usually have a, a workshop and I also have a session. Mm. And I changed my workshop every single year and try to challenge myself so I can give a different topics. And for uh, several years is about content marketing and global content marketing. And I wrote my second book and the second book is about effective sales enablement. It's really how to enable sales as a marketer. You know, how can we better support our sales team? So this year, my session and this, and also my workshop is really about how 
we as marketers can better support our sales team. And then the, the session topic is really five creative ways that you can use marketers, of course, that you can better to enable your sales team. And I really dive into the know-hows and case studies and also, again, templates. I share templates with everybody nice. so that they can use and take it with them. Yeah, I think that's key. It's nice to be able to have something uh, that you can that you can take and start use instantly, right? Because I mean, you go to these conferences and you learn a lot through that whole process, but it is nice to be able to have something that you can take away and say, okay, now I can uh, take what I've just learned or at least, and now put it into, you know, some kind of a template or something. Yes, yes. And I, I realize, I mean, by speaking to uh, many conferences and talking to uh, many attendees, what I have discovered is a lot of them, they want know how yeah. right but they also don't want to when you do a session you don't want to dive into all the nitty-gritty details that you overwhelms yeah. people so it's actually this fine balance that you have to walk like cannot be high level people was like what <laughs> and cannot be too detailed and people like what <laughs> so you know it's like you have to somehow walk on on that fine balance and uh, give them enough information that they can internalize and digest but you don't want to overwhelm them at the same yeah. time. I know how it is because I, I do speak in events as well. And it's, it's you know, it's you just have yeah. to, it's so hard because it's, you know, if you do certain things and you you lose half the crowd and you do another thing, you lose half the crowd. So it's like, all right, how do I, I, know, how do I, I keep know. them engaged? How do I, right? yeah. like, how do I keep them in, keep them excited <laughs> about things and at least give them some examples? Because, you know, there's plenty, there's been plenty of conferences I've gone to when you leave and you're like, God, that was so high level. Like there was really nothing. We didn't really, I totally agree. didn't grind down know, and figure I out know. what needs to happen. Or they was so specific that you're like, wow, that was like very specific to one example, which is great, but I'm not that one example, so right? True. So it's like, this, so true. And it is that delicate balance. Yeah. I found that at UCLA when I, when I, the first class that I was teaching, you know, I felt bad for the students because uh, man, I was, it was a three hour class it was once a week I would fly down there and for three hours. And I'm like, man, what do you go for, for three hours? Like when you do a workshop, my workshops are, you know, an hour to eight hours, right. but that's like it. Right. And, but this is like three hours for whatever, you know, for a whole quarter. And I'm like, man, I just, you know, obviously we'd have guests and stuff and there was other ways to, to fill the time to be able to make sure it's a well-rounded class, but it's a lot, you know, it's a lot when you're putting these things together. It's like, man, it's kind of crazy that the amount of information and things that go into it, it's uh, very time consuming. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. And, and at the same yeah. time, you have to entertain them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Students, they want to be entertained. <laughs> yeah. And especially we were, I mean, it was a 6.30, 9.30 class. So it's like, it's no. at the end, they've already worked. Yeah. yeah. So like the attention span was already low. And so, you know, I'm, you know, and, you know, I'd have to dance and do whatever else I was doing to keep people's attention in the class. So, you know, it, yeah. it was a phenomenal experience. Like I said, nothing but a good time. So let's talk a little bit about like sales and marketing, right? That's the whole sure. point of the podcast today mm -hmm. is, is talking about the alignment and how you actually better align those. And like, what do you think? And I know it's, you know, this is only an hour podcast, so, you know, we can't, it's not like, I mean, I'm sure what you're going to say is going to be epic, but it's not going to, you know, you don't listen <laughs> don't to this podcast and people are like, listen, I mean, sales and marketing, I got it. Like Pam told me the secret and I'm going to use this one thing, <laughs> but like, what are some of the best practices to better align uh, sales and marketing in your opinion? Yeah, there are a couple of things I would like to share with uh, your audience, if you will. And um, the one thing I do talk about in my session is, you know how one, we need to keep our friends close and our enemy closer. And mm -hmm. really, we have to keep our friends close and our salespeople closer. And uh, the way to do that is actually try to understand your salespeople better. So what is the templates that you're going to use, <laughs> and you might ask me. And I know that uh, a lot of you may have a buyer's persona, 
right? You actually create uh, fictionalized or personalized uh, your buyers and you have a buyer's persona. And whatever that buyer's persona template is, can you take the same templates and create your salesperson's persona? Can you write down as much as you can the way you understand your salesperson? And I'm not talking about, oh, you know what, I changed my salesperson, 37 years old, love to ski, not that, not the personal things, but what is a date of his life, right? What does he go through? Not a date of his life in a personal level, but in the business settings, right? And um, what does he do? And uh, how does he manage rejections? And uh, how does he manage the leads? How, do, how does he facilitate the conversation from a suspect and the prospects down to a solid uh, qualified uh, leads for the company? What are the process does he go through and what kind of content that he use? You know, from my perspective, can you write something down and document it, what I call a, a salesperson's persona? And then take that and review with your salesperson to validate that information, right? You can write a statement like, you know what? You know what? My salesperson only have attention span of a goldfish. Great. You know, share that with your salesperson. Is this true? I cannot get your attention. How can I get your attention? All of a sudden, it's a conversation opener to have <laughs> a com- uh, to, to discuss how you can work with them better. So that's one. And the other one is obviously marketers create a lot of content, right? And uh, they are more kind of like uh, a marketing centric type of content. And a lot, many marketers map their content into a buyer's purchase journey. Is it possible? Okay, you can understand your salesperson's sales journey right? How do they sell, right? A lot of typical B2B sales stages can be they have to uh, prospect somebody, they have to qualify them, they have to do a demo, and then they have to send a proposal and hopefully they close the deal. That's assumed is these five stages. Is it possible you can identify a specific steps that they do at each stage? and also identify the possible content or potential content pieces that they will need. And then you can look at your own content library and to determine what are some content pieces maybe useful or beneficial for your salespeople. But now you map some of the content in the way they understand because that's their sales process. And now you are providing value to them. It's not like you're shuffling the marketing content to their throat. It's like, hey, let me categorize the content the way you understand how you sell. And are these type of contents that you will use? Again, use that as a way to drive the conversation with them. Is that helpful? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's so funny. It's like when you say it out loud, when you talk about a, a persona, I talk about a salesperson persona, it's, I was thinking about it, it's like, how would that work? And when you start talking about examples, I mean, it makes total sense because not everybody is the same, right? It's very easy to say, right. hey, let's develop some content for all these salespeople. And it's like, well, but everybody, you know, once again, like you talk about rejection, talks about how they sell, the way that they sell, the different things that, that go into that. And everybody's different, right? So you want to, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's difficult to be able to, and I guess with the bigger organizations, you have to figure out how you're going to be able to manage that. Um, True. But I think, how, and also how to scale that. Yeah, which I think is the big it's part. Yeah, it's like, yeah. right, because it's a very kind of almost personalized type thing in theory, right? Of like each salesperson yeah. of like saying, hey, maybe this is the general thing. Or also, I mean, it's better communication that if you are this type of person and you feel this kind of way because of something that's happening, like how do you address that, right? How is that the like the yeah. open line of communication? 
And a lot of time, you know, there are different kind of uh, different types of salespeople in a sales organization, right? Mm. So there's inside sales, there's outside sales, you know, there's SDR. And so you kind of, if you decide to write kind of like a salesperson's persona, you also need to determine, you know, what are the job titles and who are the, the salespeople that you are support. So you don't overwhelm yourself and say, oh my God, do I have to create like 20, you know, salespeople or so, uh, persona because there's a tw uh, 20 different roles and responsibility that, that they divided within my sales organization. No, you don't, right? And then identify who are the salespeople that you support and then start from there. And with workshops that you do now, is this now, it sounds like obviously this is heavy on the marketing side of, hey, let's, you know, let's work with sales. Do you also work with sales teams on mm -hmm. how to better understand marketing? I mean, is that kind of a two-way a street or how does or is it mainly you're just saying, hey, because you're a marketer and you say, listen, this is how we better work with sales to be able to, you know, obviously have that alignment. You know, that's actually a very good question. In general, a majority of the projects that I work with at this time tend to be with the marketing organizations and uh, how they can better support their sales mm -hmm. team. And if I do work with the salespeople, it's not necessarily salespeople directly. It's more with the sales operations and the sales enablement team. Hmm. Salespeople, how should I say this nicely? And I love them <laughs> dearly. They are very, very busy. And it's very hard to change their behavior. If they want to change their behavior, it has to be a huge incentive or something like it's a massive paradigm shift that they will change their behavior. So majority of the salespeople they will not hire me try to understand marketing people. Does that make sense? It's their support team gotcha. yeah. that will need to work with the marketing team to actually better support them. I mean, I, from time to time, I will have a conversations with the VP of sales. Again, not necessary to work with the sales team directly because they don't want to be, they don't want to bother the salespeople unless there is, there is a real reason that we need to talk to them. They are busy selling and uh, anything they do on administrative work or anything they do on training, anything they do on non-sales activities is you are taking away from selling. Right. So most of the time when I do talk to a salespeople yeah. is actually try to understand what they do and then find a better way to support them. But most of the time on the sales side, I work with the operations and the enablement teams. And that makes total sense because your background's in marketing. So it's like, hey, this yes. is how we're going to, you know, this is how we see it as marketers. But you have to look at it from the other perspective as a salesperson and how are we going to make that synergy and that, that work better. Yeah, true. So what um, are there any like softwares or tools that companies can use to better align their sales and marketing strategy. I mean, there's, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's hard to say, Hey, just go use this tool. And all of a sudden sales and marketing will be better. But is there anything <laughs> to, use to, to be able to help that communication to, to get them on, a, on the same page? Yeah. Well, that's a good question too, Shane. There is a tool. It's really tried to facilitate sales and the marketing collaboration. The tool is called Engageos, E-N-G-A-G-I-O. And uh, it's really a tool try to work between the sales and marketing team so there's a platform that they can communicate better. And there are other tools, but they call themselves kind of like a sales enablement platforms. And some of them are really sales-centric content management library. It's basically the marketers can look at their content and then determine what content appropriate for the salespeople and they upload it to kind of like a sales enablement platform or a sales-centric content management library that easy for salespeople to find the content. Does that make sense? So there are multiple tools 
tools out there. And yeah. uh, my recommendation uh, for listeners that you have to look at your process, determine what part of the engagement and collaboration that you want to make it happen or manifest uh, between the sales and the marketing team. And then determine what the questions and the, uh, the issues that you want to resolve and then determine what kind of tool that you should use. Is that helpful? So yeah, there's not backwards. Right. I would always tell people, I say, don't, don't look at what kind of tools that you should use for sales and marketing alignments, but look at the process that you want to fix. Identify that specific issue, then source the appropriate tools to resolve that issue. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, for your organization, I mean, it's easy to say there's tools and softwares for everything. And I mean, like CRM is an example. I've I've tried Mm -hmm. almost all of them and some of them are great here. Some of them are great there. And it really depends on what your process is. There'll be a CRM that will be great for what you guys do, but it's, it's difficult to say this CRM is going to be great for every organization or this software is going to be great for sales enablement because it just depends on your process. So that makes total sense. I, I do agree. I do agree. I mean, I use Nimble as a CIM tool and I use the pipe drive and then eventually I settle for Salesforce. Salesforce is the enterprise version of it. But the thing is, most of my clients are enterprise clients. So guess what CIM tools they use? Salesforce. So I need yeah. to get myself up to speed. So uh, all of a sudden, the tool I decide to use for CIM is not necessary for, uh, you know, for independent consultants. It's really, I use it just to get myself educated so I can work with my clients better. So, yeah, see, it's a completely sense. different objective. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We use Nimble uh, right now currently because- um, Oh, yeah, that's nice. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's actually yeah, it's a very a good, good tool. For us. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, I like the social side of it as well. And there's some good tie-ins and stuff. So uh, we've been we've been happy with that. But I, I used to be, we used Salesforce many moons ago in another business that I had. We had uh, quite a few seats. We were one of the, the biggest Salesforce, I guess, most seats in, in, this was about 10, 15 years ago. So I'm yeah, pretty yeah, familiar. Yeah. It's obviously changed a lot through the years, right? They're, they're huge Yeah, now, they but, are huge now. Um, and it's a very yeah. complicated tool. I mean, literally, it horrifies many marketers <laughs> when they look at that tool. I say, like, yeah. what? And I was like, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, there's so many different things. I mean, that's what's cool about it is like, there's so many things you can do, but out of the box, you're like, all right, I got to customize this. Yes. Like, there's, yes. You know, it's like, it's awesome, but there's so many plugins and different things you can do. It can literally do anything, but of course, somebody's got to be able to put that together for you. Yes, you have to, yes, you pretty much have to hire someone else to actually understand your process and to customize that whole platform for you. Yeah, agree. Which is a, a sobering experience too. Like I Expensive remember we were going through too. our process. Expensive. I, oh, my oh my God. Yeah. Just, oh my oh God is the right that, word. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. That's that was about what I said. I think after the first bill, I was like, oh, okay, wow. All right. There we go. This is gonna be but it's it's great to be able to learn that because your process is you don't realize how broken your process is until you have to physically put it up on paper and be able to, or <laughs> whatever, too. and be able to figure it out. And then you're like, wow, this is process. There's, it goes to like 48 different people's hands and it really doesn't need to, yeah. right? So I think that's, that's helpful too, because then you can, you know, tighten that up a little bit and, you know, make it, because a lot of times your process and, you know, in your mind is pretty easy because it's in your mind, right? Yeah. And then when you actually have to put it down and in a software and a CRM, you're like, okay, well, I gotta, we gotta make this a little easier for the, the people that aren't as crazy as I am. True. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, 
what companies, and we talk about like um, sales and marketing initiatives and, and, you know, different people. I mean, that's always the, I think that's like the pinnacle, right? As being able to get sales and marketing to like hold hands and run down a trail together and be happy, right? That's always the goal. It doesn't always happen, but I think, you know, as we talk about this kind of stuff and figuring it out, I think we, we get closer. But are there any companies out there that you think are doing a great job when it comes to sales and marketing and, and things that they've implemented or maybe companies you've worked with as well? You know, to be honest with you, every single company I talk to, and I talk to quite a bit, and if you even talk to their CMO or even their VP, nobody will raise their hand and say, you know what, I'm doing a phenomenal job, and we are living happily ever after. Nobody's going to say that. They all still have challenges they run through, right? Just like yeah. we are living in a life. Just, you know, you have a child, you know that um, there's a challenge at every single stage. Right. Even now, yeah. I mean, I'm sure the kids is I'm, fantastic and uh, it's probably very semi-independent mm. and you are very proud of, uh, uh, I assume it's a son, right? My son. Yes, yeah. yeah. You are proud of him. But still, there's always some sort of challenge between like, you know, son and the father alignment is always something. Right. Yeah. So to be honest yeah. with you, I don't know like a single company will raise their hand and say, guess what? We are doing a fantastic job. No, everybody's yeah. kind of working through it. It's like a journey. However, however, there is a book and it was published by Wiley and the title is called Aligned to Achieve by Tracy Eiler and Andrea Austin. And Tracy is a CMO of uh, Inside View and Andrea Austin is a VP of sales for Inside View. And they co-wrote a book. It's, you know, the VP of sales and marketing. They co-wrote a book together and talking about that, how they work together. So if you actually have a book to approve that sales and marketing team, your company is working well together, I assume they have done a phenomenal job of aligning sales and marketing. So like I said, I'm not affiliated with them in any shape or form, and I don't even know Tracy and Andrea, but it's kind of interesting to see this book, Aligned to Achieve by Tracy and Andrea. So if you're interested, you can check it out. Yeah, I will. Like I said, I'm not related to them. Yeah, Yeah, but that's kind of cool. It's, I mean, because that, that is hard to say, right? I mean, it's hard to say yeah. who who does. I mean, it's easy to say like, you know, content marketing, like who's putting out great content? Like you usually look at it and go, oh, there you go. Like sales and marketing and anybody that it's kind of like marriage, like anybody that says, oh, our marriage is perfect or our sales and marketing is perfect. There's a lot more going on, right? Yeah, there's probably, no. there's yeah. probably, it's probably a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, they no. probably hate each other. They're, yeah, they're exactly. holding hands on Facebook, but outside of, outside of Facebook, it's yeah. like they're ready to, for divorce. Like completely yeah. different story. Yes. I yeah. Totally I would be agree. very cautious if somebody says, no, our, everything's perfect at our company. I'm like, mm, perfect, that sounds yeah. fishy. But are everybody working on that? Yes, everybody is. And they all recognize that the, the, the sales and marketing collaboration is becoming more and more important because of digital, yeah. right? And the rise of digital really is a forcing function, if you will, to um, force that the sales and marketing to work together. Email marketing, for example. I mean, in the past, only the marketers are doing the email marketing. But guess what? Nowadays, the salespeople are using a sales force or CIM to actually run their own mini email campaigns whenever they want to, right? So if you don't yeah. talk to each other, you are not creating a seamless customer experience for your prospects or uh, existing customers. Yeah. I mean, how do you do that? I mean, because obviously if you have, you know, everybody has their, their the capability of being able to send out their own emails and that kind of, I mean, obviously you have to have some kind of a review process. I mean, is there like an overarching, you know, like marketing and sales God that like sees everything? Like, how does that happen? Because I know when, because when, I've had bigger companies either that I've owned or I've worked for, 
um, that are but huge, right? And it's like, try to get, yeah. keep that alignment going is very difficult because everybody has their own personalities hard, and right? the way they do things. And, you know, I, I it's like, and especially now if you're, and this is a whole nother thing. Now, if you get into like, hey, you're in the legal industry or if you're in like securities or something like that, like you can't even send out an email without going through like 19 attorneys and, you know, they have to- Yeah, the legal reviews. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, yeah. Boy, those are fun. I don't have a, a perfect solution for it, yeah. to be honest. And what I have found that worked well um, when I was in Intel is communications. It's it's a communications, communication, communication. It's over communications, uh, better than under communication. Yeah. And uh, I, for example, we actually I will attend a sales meeting on a regular basis and share with them what are the contents that's co actually coming down to a pipeline and what we are doing, what kind of campaigns are we running at this point. Sometimes we will even share like email templates or the content with the salespeople. And the salespeople probably have listening, to be honest with you, when I do my stuff. And would some sometimes they send out dupl duplicated content to their uh, customers. Of course, that does happen. Um, with a big corporation, there's not much a way to minimize it, to be honest with you. And the way that at least I do it is, you know, attend their meetings or I have a forum of my own and uh, communicate as much as I can. And that's probably one way of doing it. And the other one is leverage technology, right? And uh, for example, like I said, the sales and the marketing collaboration platform. And is this any way that uh, you get everybody to use that platform and they can go into a tool and see what needs to, what uh, was done before and to make sure that you don't overwhelm your uh, customers. So I don't have a solution for it. I don't, Shane. I mean, I would be lying to tell you there's a perfect solution. Uh, there's none. And I think it depends on the organization too, right? I mean, it's not, it's, it's very True. difficult to say, hey, this is going to work for everybody, right? I, I think the thing that when you talked about is, I mean, communication is, is this is anything. This is your marriage, this is whatever. Like the more you communicate, the yep. better you can have that open better. line of communications yep. obviously is going to be better. And I do think there is that, you know, it's, and this sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't, you know, it's like, hey, if you have something that works, yep. like share that with the team. You know, sometimes sales people are like, oh, I don't want to tell everybody because this is working and I'm crushing it when it comes to this. But it would be nice for other people. I mean, the idea, yeah, yep. this is for everybody to do better, right? And especially if you're like territories and stuff, then why not, right? I mean, you can go ahead and share what, exactly. what you've got going on exactly. and good things can happen there. So I think, I think that open line of communication and, and the sharing of knowledge, yeah. um, because there's power in that, right? If everybody sends out an email and somebody says, hey, I crushed it with this one. Okay, well, why was that? And let's figure that out and figure out how we can create more content like that. Mm -hmm. So the whole company does better. Um, so I like that. I think that's a, a good way to go to at least to better understand where you can, you know, where there's synergies and where you can grow or where, you know, where you're having potential roadblocks with people or, you know, messaging or what thing that's going out. Excellent point. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So what is, so you've done, I, this is, it's funny. So I was, I was excited about interviewing because you've, I don't know what you haven't done. And as I'm trying to figure out, you've, like I was looking like between the writing of the books, uh, I don't know. We, <laughs> no, this, the only thing we could disagree about at this me. point is I, I'm like between writing books and universities and everything else. I, I feel like you should have been my mentor when I was younger or something. Like I could have learned a lot from you. But what do you think your biggest achievement to date is? Like what do you like? What do you look at and go? Oh, this is like. I mean, for me, if I was you, I would say God, writing of a book because I've been talking about writing a book like since I was like nine months old or something. Not really, but I, a long time, <laughs> right? But um, you can still do it. I know. Literally just buck Buckle down and sit. Man. That's the only thing you have to do. You just buckle down and sit 
and then start writing. And then you just have to come in about five or six months of your life. Oh, like, that's easy. First that. of all, yeah, piece of cake, right? Sitting down is like that's already a problem. Like my, <laughs> my mom, one time she was like, she'll come over to the house. My mom was real close to me, and I'll be, you know, she'll come over and I'll start doing soon stuff. She goes, God, you just don't ever sit down. I said, I don't. Like sitting down is so difficult for me. Like I, I, I feel like I gotta do this. I can do this. I can do that. I can do that. So I mean, not that I don't sit because I'm obviously sitting right now and I'm, I'm perfectly okay. Um, except I'm twitching a little bit. Just kidding. Not really. But, <laughs> but it, I, that is, you know, I think that you know, you talk about five or six months. Anyways, that's you know, I, I will get my book will come out. It definitely will come out one day. But what is your biggest achievement? Is it your book or is it your speaking? The workshops you do? Like, what do you think to date? Actually, my kids. My biggest achievements awesome. are my kids. And uh, I have two boys and they are fantastic. I'm not a tiger mom. Okay, everybody will like, oh, you are Asian. You must be a tiger mom. No, I am not a tiger mom. I don't push my kids. <laughs> I tell my kids, you don't want to study? Great. We don't, you don't, don't. But I'm told, but you need to work, right? Yeah. And I never really like push them very hard. Yeah. And a lot of time they manage their time. Um, very well and uh, they do their things and I don't really have to worry about them too much in terms of if they can get their stuff done and I'm very very grateful for that and I attribute that not because of me I didn't do jack shit all right I was working the whole time my husband did a very good job raising them the teachers did a very good job raising my children oh you know the friends and uh, it's like yeah, it's actually good. So I, my biggest accomplishments are my children. I'm very, very proud of them, what they have turned out to be. And thank God. And because I'm my, I work all the time when they were growing up. And I actually apologize to them when they turn like yeah. 14 and 15. I say, I'm sorry, I was never there for you. You know, first day of school, your first step, your, you know, your first Christmas concert, blah, blah, blah. I was always traveling. And then I apologized to them. But they say something to me that melt my heart. They say, Mom, I understand that you were not there for my first Christmas concert. You were not there for my first step. You were not there for my first day of school. But the thing is, this is what they say to me, both of them. They say, but we don't remember any of that. The only thing we remember is when we need you, you were there. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay, can I take you out for a drink? Let's go out for a drink. You are 21. Wow. <laughs> Man. I know. I know. I was Man, like, oh. That's like, they, I don't know if that was pre-prepared, but that was like on point. Well, your kids are smart, too. <laughs> awesome. And it worked. And it worked. That's that's awesome though. But that is, that is awesome. Right. I mean, I, I also, in the beginning of my career was very, very, you know, traveling and everything else. And I wouldn't say I was absent by any means, but there was definitely things that I missed and things that I, you know, kind of look back on. But I think, you know, you have to, sometimes there's sacrifice, right. And, and as long as like, your kids still know yeah. that you're there and you're, yeah. you're still, you know, in their life and, and obviously good things have happened because of that. So, you know, it's always that balance. Yeah. You could have been there all True. the time and not been working at all. And then guess what? They'd be paying for their own college. So, so there, yeah, there we go. True. Right. I mean, it's like there's something's got to give here. You, you know, I, I can't be here all yeah, the time. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And they are very grateful and uh, we have a close relationship. And uh, like I said, I am super, super blessed from that perspective. That is. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Shout out to, to, to your husband too. Oh Sounds yeah. Like he he's fantastic. Active. I am just, uh, yeah, whatever. I'm just not very good. Lucky girl. That. Lucky girl. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, you got any other new projects, anything fun ahead? What else? I mean, other than I know you have the relentless pursuit. Yeah. Is there anything else that you're working on or anything fun? Yeah, a couple things. First one is we'll be doing a keynote actually in Vienna in October. So I'm going to Vienna. So whenever I'm in Europe, I will try nice. to kind of do a couple of things when I'm in Europe. And this time I'm going to Morocco. Ah, for five days and I was like hey and nice. so that's the fun part of it and then I got a couple big projects coming up and one of them is going to be interesting I'm helping this company a fairly decent sized company to uh, build their b2b marketing organization and also do and work with them on the MarTech evaluation. So not just mm. the organization, the people part of it, but also work with them to build a process and also the tools to help their B2B marketing organization to support their sales. So I'm very excited about that project. Wow, that's awesome. Is that something you do remotely or is that something you actually go in and meet with them? Um, so it's gonna be a combination of both. And the uh, company is based in Texas. So I will be traveling quite a bit and to Texas. And at the same time, there are some stuff I will do remotely, but uh, I also will be there on site. Wow, that's awesome. So is it Austin or where is it at in Texas? Or can you say? Uh, it's in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Big old state of Texas. Don't worry. Pam will be coming there. She'll let you know when she's in town. That's awesome. That's great. So Thank what you. is, so, you know, obviously there's a lot of, I, a lot of my audience is, you know, marketing professionals, obviously some salespeople as well. Like what is the one piece of advice that you'd like to give to like aspiring CMOs? Like what is the, the one thing with all the knowledge and the classes you've taught and workshops you've done? Like what is the one, is there one piece that you can say, Hey, like this, you got to do this, or you, you really should think about this or this is what you should do. Like, what, what is that one piece? Is there one piece or is there multiple pieces? You know, that's a good question. Actually, when, when I saw that question, I gave a lot of thoughts and I was like, oh my God, that's a great question. And by doing many consulting projects and talking to different company, including teaching as well, there is one point of view that I had and it's changing and morphing. So because I work in a big company for a long period of time and I work very closely with uh, my uh, geographies and also a country marketing team and also the product marketing team, I always feel like strategy is a very critical part of it. And I always believe like technology, you know, tools and process are not technology. You need to create a strategy first. I mean, it's not a strategy. Technology is not strategy. And that you need to create kind of like a very holistic strategy first. But, but Shane, what I'm trying to share with you is I actually have a little bit of a second thought about that. The reason is the technology platform and tools are so big right now. When I say big, it's not like, oh my God, they are hot because they are essential part of everything we do right? Like, for example, we are using Zoom to talk to each other. And we are using Google Doc. So we can see the, the document I can uh, change and add it as I see fit. And uh, imagine if we mm -hmm. work very closely together, I'm doing marketing, you do sales, and there's a tools that we can use to make sure enable us to communicate better. So the technology becomes a huge part of everything we do. And uh, for longest time, we always have strategy first, technology second or process second. And uh, now I feel that you have to understand the technology well enough 
before you define strategy. Does that make sense? I'm not saying technology is strategy. That's not my point. So for people who are listening, please don't take that as like the, the, the one takeaway. Yeah. No. What I'm trying to say is when you define your strategy nowadays, you really have to think through what technology that you want to use. And also the how you use that technology can also define your organizational structure and the roles and responsibilities. Does that make sense? In the past, you know, we were like, oh, okay, you do social media. There's a social media team. Oh, you do event marketing. There's an event marketing team. Okay, you do email marketing. Yeah. You do, there's an email marketing team. All right, this by functions. What if, what if we are looking at the technology and the tools that we use to determine how we're going to organize and formulate our organizational structure? I mean, it's a slightly different type of thinking. And I feel that moving forward, the CMO, the next generation of CO, CMOs need to think through, not necessarily by job functions, but really think through how technology dictate or define how we work and then use that to determine what your organizational structure will look like. Use that to determine even the roles and responsibility. But like I said, I am not completely sold on that, but that is the idea has been simmering in my head for a long period of time. Hmm. And I thought I share with you and on your podcast. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I think it's what you're. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it it's, I'm not. I don't have a solid answer, so guys, don't take everything I say was like, oh, Pam said this. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> but it's an idea that for you also to think about. If you have anything, you know, if you have any additional follow up or have thoughts, share with me. I would love to hear from the the audience as well. Yeah, for sure. You guys write in the comments below, and Pam will will make sure that if there's any once the comments are put up there. Pam can answer them. So, so Pam, I, I have a, so now we're going to, we're switching from CMO uh, aspirations and what, what they should be doing, looking at to like, what if money was, we're going personal here. So what if money wasn't a concern? Like what happens, okay. like, what would you do if you didn't have to work? Like, and I know not having to work, like is not even, you don't even know what that means. Oh my God, that would be I great. Oh my, if, that would be I, fantastic. I think I know your personality. Do If somebody said like, here's $10 million dollars, would you, would you never work? Would you like say, hey, I'll quit tomorrow? No, I would continue I to be work. hard for you. I yeah, knew I it. I knew that was going to be your answer. I knew that I could have bet a thousand dollars on that. Cause it's like, I'm the same way. Like if somebody was like, Hey, I'm going to give you $10 million. I'm like, that's super awesome. But I still got to But I will still, yeah. I will still be working. But I probably will scale back a little bit. I've been working, you know, working for yourself is hard. And anybody who is working for yourself can attest to that. And I've been working long hours in the past five years after, uh, ever since I left the corporate yeah. world. If I do actually have the money, I probably will scale back a little bit and then I will do yoga every day. There we go. And that's something I really enjoy keep it, doing. Keep yeah. it mindful. So you would, so we scale back. So what does that mean? You're, because I'm, I'm not, I'm not, your husband actually asked me to answer this and wanted you to answer this <laughs> and we're going to have it on a recording. And so I don't know if he has 10 million for you or not. No, I'm just kidding. He actually did not tell me that. I just know that your, your personality is like mine. It's like very go, 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 go. And go, so it's go, like, go. my yep. wife's like, I don't think you'll ever retire. And I'm like, no, I might one day. She's like, that's not real confident. You know, that, is, that is so true. My husband was like, oh, you know, I'm going to retire at age of 56. I was like, what? Yeah. And I was thinking, 
I probably retire age of 70. Yeah. If I can work, why not? Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, well, with what we do, you can be remote too. It's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can be remote. That's what I do like. Like my wife's a nurse. So, you know, there's, she works usually about six days. Yeah. She has has to be on site. site. Unless she's a traveling nurse, which we are looking into, but that's a whole nother conversation. So, um, I also see you travel a lot, right? I mean, you've been traveling for yeah. a long, long time. What is like, what is your, like your dream travel destination? Like, where have you been that you're like, oh my God, it blew me away. Um, well, actually the, the, there's, um, on my t- list, I really want to go, but I haven't had a chance. New Zealand. Everybody mm, was telling yeah. me that. It's fantastic. Obvious. I love it. And, uh, the, the, the country I would go back over and over again, <laughs> Italy. Ah, other culture and also food yeah, my god good. i love the yeah. food you know i'm so, I, I eat all the time mm. sorry everyone and it's like when i'm happy i eat when i'm depressed i eat when i'm angry i eat <laughs> i hear I you eat, I, eat, I eat all the time so i was like the flu over there oh fantastic well if you're eating all the time you're doing something right because i've seen pictures of you i think i don't know what you're doing you got to be working out too then because you're not <laughs> I would expect to see if All right, Shane, that picture was 10 years ago. Well, you're still okay? looking good. Still do. You're keeping it going, keeping it going. That's awesome. Well, cool, Pam. This has been awesome. Like I said, I think you've, you've, you've touched on a lot of things when it comes to sales and marketing. You've brought up some phenomenal points. If anybody needs to get in contact with you, how would they go about doing that? All right. I'm actually on every single social media channels, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, you name it, even Pinterest and uh, Instagram. You can reach me on any of these channels. At the same time, you can always go to pamdinner.com and, um, and just contact me form. That works as well. That's awesome. Well, Pam, thank you once again for the interview today. Like I said, I think you've enlightened a lot of us. Um, and then if anybody needs to get in contact with you, obviously you have your website and the same thing with your books. I did see on your actual website, you can actually download a free chapter of either the global yes, content marketing or the effective sales enablement, which I think is a good start if people want to at least take a look at that and, and get intrigued by it and they can go to Amazon or wherever and then go purchase. Very good. Thank you for sharing that. Appreciate it, Shane. Not a problem at all, Pam. Well, have an awesome day. And uh, we're looking forward to as soon as this podcast goes live, we'll send you out the information. Love that. Love that. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Pam. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.